The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hey, the 70s called. They want your sweatshirt back, by oh, the come way. Come on, man. <laughs> no? No, I like it. I just had to give you shit about something. I mean, come on. Someone in your ear said that. No, it was me. It was totally me. I don't. I, you got a good Comple- style. Completely I'm down your with vibe. your style. Yes. All right. I'm down with your style. Um, we need to improve your sneaker game, but other than that, you're good. Yeah, buddy. You're looking good today, though. All black, buttoned yeah. up. Yeah. Only if you buttoned your top button, you'd be really cool. Instead, you're I just did. cool. Oh, the yeah, second to top. No, yeah, yeah. That's the, top for me. Yeah, that's top for you. That's yeah, you're, for you like to show. If your... I didn't have the, the the mic. Right. I would go the other one and button as well. You would. I know. Yeah. You're you're Johnny Chest hair type guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And your your shoe game's pretty good. I mean, it's I, better better today. Yeah. Speaking speaking of uh, down there, and I'm I'm referring to shoes. Right. I did notice that these jeans, as long as we're talking fashion. Yeah. About six, seven years old, and they're, they're flared at the, at the bottom. Oh, right. You know, so right. I don't know. I don't know if if it's all right. To well, now that you've said it, I see that you're right. Your yeah. right, your cool meter just went down another yeah. notch. You just got knocked down to the BCS. How about my honesty meter, though? Yeah, your honesty meter is up there, and I always respect that. What's up, everybody? Good to see you. Chris Sims, Paul Burmeister. It's the Wednesday podcast, which means we are going to the thing that's sweeping the nation. What the fuck happened? Uh, we got Big Fucker coming on. Yep. About 25 minutes from now, uh, we're gonna run through some quarterbacks with him. I I sent him a text message, so we just won't let him ramble. I think he'll have some parameters. A little which, more direction. Which probably means we'll have no direction at all, knowing him. Um, he'll, he'll go. But we're going to hit a number of things today. We're going to hit, you know, New England, Philly, Denver, Minnesota, Dallas, Detroit. Like I said, some of the quarterbacks with, with Big Phil. And then some, K, uh, some KC, Kansas City Chiefs versus Los Angeles Chargers. We'll, talk, we'll hit a little of that, too, along with New Orleans, Tampa Bay on the offensive side of the ball and just some things that jumped out to me there. Uh, that's pretty much the rundown of the show. And we are going to interact more with, because I think this is something I would like to do. I've been on everybody and Pete Dimalitis. Pete D. Yeah, B-D. That, I like Dimalitis. Yeah. Okay, I really I love butchering his name. Um, <laughs> Yes, uh, he has been all over Twitter, Instagram, and just trying to. I want to incorporate them. I want questions yeah. for them. I want to answer them. I want to incorporate Got our fans right and everything. Awesome. So yeah. go ahead. You take the show from here on out. We have an automatic on where to start. What the fuck happened? Yes. All right. Yes. Not just because it was with big name teams, Patriots and Eagles. Right. But the final play, yep. at least the, the final play that mattered in that game. Yes. Carson Wentz to Nelson Aguilar. Right. Fourth down, back of the end zone. Some people are calling it a drop. Some people are calling it a bad throw. Yeah. The way you saw it. Yes. What the fuck happened right. at the end of that play? Man, I'm so proud of you. Look at you swearing and everything. Gosh, you're all grossed up. You're all grossed up. <laughs> um, uh, so, first off. Yeah. 
that would have been an incredible catch. I don't know where you stand on it. And I'll, I want to hear it from a second. Just okay, wait one okay. second. I think it would have been an incredible catch. Now, I know he got two hands on the ball. But, you know, again, as he's running full speed, let's just say across a clock from like 5 o'clock to 11 o'clock, right? Mm-hmm. He's running that way, full speed. And the ball was thrown at 12 o'clock. And he had to adjust at the very back of the end zone. I do think wind played a factor in this throw. You know, and again, I don't know that, but we did. Sh- if you watch that game on Sunday, they showed the flags a lot during the game to yeah. show that the wind. So, even on film, the ball looked like it got hit by the wind to a degree with me. I don't know for sure. It's a tough thing to call. Uh, you get two hands on the ball, and everybody goes, man, you get two hands on the ball, you should catch it. And I understand that. But I still think if he catches that ball, it's going to be one of the catches of the year. That's how difficult it was, at least in my eyes. Mm-hmm. I, don't know, I know not everybody sees it that way. What, yeah. what do you think? I thought that Wentz threw a near-perfect ball considering right. when he had to throw it yes, he and did. where he had to throw it. Right. So that, that's number one. Yes. Uh, I agree with it would have been a super difficult catch. Right. If you just froze – the moment and had a picture of the moment yeah. the ball touched Aguilar's hands. Yes. It was awkward. It was way behind He's him. He's bent backwards. Yeah, just that picture. Right. I totally agree. Right. There's something about a completely nuanced and high-level receiver yeah. or, or pass catcher where he can tell when the ball is in midair. Yes. And I, I give him uh, – I, I cut – Aguilar some slack because he didn't see the ball off of Wentz's Exactly hand. right. He's still running, which, and Wentz had to throw it so high and yes, early that he's – Which is, a, to me, a, a, a big part of a pass catcher being able to judge it and track it well. So Agreed. He didn't see it off his hand. Agreed. That makes it really hard. It does. But when he glanced up at it in the air, he had a second, second and a half to take his route. Like you, you talked about, he was yeah. going – he was kind of running across the field. He was. To adjust it if he would have seen – and, again, this is very high-level nuanced yeah, stuff. Yeah, it is. doesn't mean that he can't play. Right. But if he could have noticed when the ball was going up in the air, when he saw it, right. where it was going, and a lot of really good guys can do this, yeah. he could have adjusted his route. Sure. So it wasn't a reach back. It was, would have been more of a here. Would have been about a two- or three-yard adjustment. Agreed. So the, the fact that he dropped the yeah. ball with the where he ran, I don't have a problem with that. I think he should have adjusted his route. He should have been able to track the ball, adjust to where it was yeah. going quicker, and made it not so awkward at the point of impact. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't disagree with anything you said there. Now, I could certainly sit there and also argue Carson Wentz needs to throw the ball across the field more. As I'm saying, like, right, if he's running from 5 to 11 on a clock, Carson Wentz needs to throw the ball at 10 o'clock, 10.30, somewhere in that range. It's a mistake a lot of quarterbacks make sometimes. Mm -hmm. You see the deep post thrown down the field, and the guy's running, you know, right down. He's running towards, let's say, you know, you're in the middle of the field, and he's supposed to catch the post down the middle, right in the middle of the two hashes, and a guy throws a post at the right hash. And now you're running full speed, and you have to do this. A lot of quarterbacks made that mistake. I make that mistake. My dad always talks about it. So I do think Wentz could have thrown it over that way more, okay, if I was going to say one thing. Also, I think what it's being, this whole thing is being accentuated a little bit more is we're jumping on a popular narrative. Exactly. Nelson Aguilar can't catch. Right. This has been a thing ever since, you know, the fire in Philadelphia and the, right. the guy on the news said, oh, we were catching babies, <laughs> right. unlike Aguilar. Yeah. So it's become a, a, a narrative now, and I think that's why it's become a bigger deal, and too. And he's, he's contributed to it a lot. Yes, he has. A he, much bigger drop was on that second window quick slant The that third he two that yes. he dropped, yes. Yeah. And, and, and on that one, too, I couldn't tell maybe if somebody got their hand on it on film. I don't remember seeing it clearly in the TV copy. It was very close. Yeah. 
Either way, that one was right here in his bread basket, and he yeah. had two hands to, right around it to, to catch that one. Right. And that was a big drop. You're yeah. exactly right. Now, just to speak specifically about that play, mm-hmm. you know, that was Bill Belichick putting the pressure on the Eagles' offense in the biggest this moment the of the game. Play. The final yeah. play. Yeah. You know, it's it's fourth and ten. Now, first off, if we want to – now, a lot of people I hear, like, want to blame Carson Wentz for the game in general. What's going on with Carson Wentz? Hey, listen, everybody. I watched this film. You know, there's not a lot of people open throughout the game. There's just not. Nobody in Philadelphia is that special at receiver. There's nobody that scares you. Uh, we've talked about this a lot. I feel like I'm kind of, like, preaching to the right. choir here. So, again, nobody's going, like, oh, my gosh, we got to back off. Like, it's Nelson Aguilar and Zach Ertz. Alshon Jeffrey's not even out there. I mean, you know, they're just – they don't have a team right now that Deshaun scares Jackson. you. Deshaun Jackson's not there. They have nothing to back a defense off, let alone one of the best secondaries and defenses we've seen here in recent history. Right. So, there's that aspect of it. Now, I will say this. On that fourth and ten pass, mm-hmm. there was a third and ten out route to Zach Ertz. Completely missed him. Completely yep. missed him. On first and ten, mm-hmm. he completely missed him again on a very similar route. Had Zach Ertz going on a, like a little Y out, as we call it, the Y right. as the tight end, and missed that throw as well. So if I'm going to blame Carson Wentz for anything, it would be those two throws. I think were his egregious, most egregious mistakes of the day. On right? that same drive. On that same drive. Yeah. Because when yeah. you go to fourth and ten against Bill Belichick, good luck. Okay, I don't care who you are. Had he hit the one on third down to, You're gonna get a, to Zach Ertz, which is, and I always preface this by saying nothing is easy, but yeah. it's as easy a throw as you're going to have. In the NFL, you're exactly and right. It wasn't even close, and it would have been about two yards to gain if he would have completed that. Uh, yeah, yes, you're right. You know, or maybe he maybe breaks a tackle and gets a first. It's a different game. Oh, my god. Bill Belichick might not call an out blitz if it's fourth and two because now right. he's going to go, ooh, they can just throw it short, and if my guy doesn't make a tackle, it's going to be a touchdown, and all of a sudden Doug Peterson's crazy and might go over two, and we lose the game. Right. So it totally changed the game, him missing those first and third down throws. And like you said, for NFL high-level players like Ertz and Carson Wentz, that's about a slam dunk as it should get for right. getting a completion. What were so, you you were going to say something more about the fourth down play. Well, the fourth down play I just think you know again it's uh they bring the all-out blitz it's um it's really well covered for the most part they're sending verticals down the field he's sending he's got Ertz to the left three receivers to the right he's going to throw that inside post to Nelson Aguilar the three of the the three of the verticals and he's on the inside you know if he has maybe a hair more time, and even if really if he just hung in there for a second, he might have been able to throw a curl route to his left to Ertz for the first down. Now, he would have got lambasted, yeah. um, and he would have probably had to hold the ball even an extra second longer than what he did when he threw the ball to Aguilar. Mm-hmm. But either way, it's Bill Belichick in a big moment like that. And when you have more than five yards, I would bet on Bill Belichick blitzing and forcing your hand more times than not. Mm-hmm. They brought seven, okay? So it's an all-out casino blitz we're rolling the dice we're gonna force their hand and see if they got the right call and if they can make the right blitz adjustment and actually protect it the right way and within doing that they brought seven but two took two steps in and then dropped out yeah so it 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 was seven but it was really five because two then were underneath in case they threw a shallow cross or an inside slant they're going to be able to bat the ball down and do that as well thinking about protection and also the fact that you want to incorporate some uh, more opinions and questions yeah Instagram right Emil Martinson says was it the Lane Johnson injury that derailed the Eagles offense 
or did Belichick change something after the 95-yard touchdown drive? Okay, so in my assessment of watching the film, I would say to uh, Emil Martinson, very good question, because this is a topic that I've heard throughout, you know, all talk shows. Comes from Sweden. Awesome. What's up, Sweden? Yep. I like that. I got, some, I got some Sweden in my bloodlines, just so you know. Um, my grandmother was always like, we're part Viking. Uh, <laughs> uh, but um, e either way, I don't think it had a big effect on the game. Okay, let's take the two drives for points for the Philadelphia Eagles. First play of the game was a 50-yard pass interference call. Mm -hmm. That set them up for the first field goal. Right. The 95-yard touchdown drive was as hard and tough of a drive as you're going to find in football this year. I mean, it was, you know, and I don't know how much you saw my notes. I know I got my notes a little late to you today, so I don't know if you got to go over them uh, like you usually do. But, you know, some of the, the – it was screens – Tight end screen, check down, three-yard runs. I mean, it was a lot of work. It was 16 plays, 95 yards. They executed at a very high level. That's really not realistic to say you're going to be able to do that against this defense drive after drive after drive. Like with, with both quarterbacks, it was like watching a good golfer try to save bogey the whole day. Yeah, pretty much. You're yeah. right. I think that's a and, and good way to say it. And sometimes saving bogey is good. It's you're exactly right. Do, but it was difficult. Like, it was difficult. It wasn't pretty. No, neither team has great offensive firepower. And – both defenses were clearly the better units on the field in both of those matchups. I think mm -hmm. you're exactly right. And, um, hey, that Eagles defense is special. There's, I just burped into the microphone. I was wondering what that sound was. <laughs> I, I, that, I mean, not, that Eagles defense is really good. That Patriots defense is special. Yeah. They've gone into the, the 85 Bears, 2000 Ravens conversation. They have. And maybe they don't have that dominant star that we can latch on. There's no Richard Den and Mike Singletary. You also, yeah, they're Hall of Famers on that defense. Right, there's no Ray Lewis. And that was about not just the Hall of Famers, but the scheme. The that, scheme. That was so new and so aggressive. Yes, it was. What is it about this Patriots defense that makes you think of the, of the, of the Bears? Well, I think the scheme as well. But it's just not like this aggressive, overpowering scheme. It's more about confusion and great coaching in the back end with a secondary that's as good as any secondary we've seen here in the last 10 years. I mean, they're just – they're super talented. There's no other way to say How it. How often are they playing with, with five or six DBs? Uh, I mean, to me, that's a great question. I mean, I, I don't even know the numbers, but I'm going to say like 80, 80 85% most of the time. To me, that's one of the things you need to do when you play – and I wrote this in my notes. When you play them, the New England Patriots, I mean, in them – you need to get in two backs, one tight end. You need to get in two tight ends, one back. That's what Baltimore did to them. It took away their, oh, we got six guys at the line of scrimmage. Are we going to bring two or three, four, five, six? Are we going to drop them out? Are we going to play man? Are we going to play some crazy zone? When you get into some of those heavy run sets, they have to get in the three, four. Mm -hmm. And you can't be as crazy with some of your things. Oh, gosh, there's two tight ends to the right. And if we bring one of those crazy blitzes or have people standing up and dropping out and they happen to run the ball right where we're dropping out, man, we're in deep crap. It's also a bit of an aberration because they have to worry so much about Jackson running. Yes. Yes, it is. One. It is. You're exactly right. It doesn't it's an apply to what Philly would try to no, do. No, it yeah. does not. And it's one of my issues with Philly anyways. I wish they would just get underneath the center and run the ball a little bit more in general. I thought that was one of the areas that they might be able to take advantage. You know, again, I've said this before. I said this last week. This is a weird year for the New England Patriots. They usually have a lot of big people on their defensive line. Right now, they have two defensive tackles. They have Lawrence Guy and Danny Shelton. That's really all they got. And now Lawrence Guy is kicking ass, and so is Danny Shelton. But when they get in their 3-4, their other defensive end, which is really a defensive tackle in the 3-4, is Dietrich Wise. He's 275 pounds. 
Like, that would be one thing I would tell all teams. Run the ball at him, please. He's a 275-pound defensive tackle. Run at him. Yeah. And those are little things that has jumped out to me about the game in general. What would you? What grade yeah. would you give to Carson Wentz? Carson Wentz. You touched on him a little yeah, bit. Right. I, I mean, I think realistically, probably a B to a B minus. I'm not going to sit here and blame the game on Carson Wentz. Mm-hmm. I'm not. There was not that much there to be had. I didn't look at the game and went, oh, man, Carson Wentz is missing people open all over the field. How dare he? No. If Carson Wentz had any issues in this game is at points I feel like he was a little too stationary in the pocket. Hey, nobody's open. Get out. Move. You know, press the issue. You're an athletic quarterback who throws a great on the run. Yeah. The other thing I'll say he does, too, to me, he locks onto Zach Ertz a little too much. I think there was a few times where I want to go, Get off Zach Ertz. Yeah. He's, he's not going to be there on this play. Go to the next read. And that uh, – and there was maybe one or two plays where I went – he played the one-on-one shot, right? Like there was, there was a single over here, and he went, I'm going to go for the go ball or the post. And I wanted to go, oh, man, if you just played the three-man concept over here, you're going to get a 10-yard completion. So I think there was a little bit of that. That's hard to always do because in his coaching, they're told him at times, you got man-to-man with this right. guy. We'd like you to take a shot. Right. So that's not always – like he's not going to be graded negatively by his coaches when he does that. The big thing to me more than anything, and, and, and it, Ertz had a good day, but the, the Patriots were not going to let two things happen. They weren't going to let the wheel route out of the backfield by the running backs beat them. They were all over that. That's been one of the staples of the Eagles team is, you know, back next to Carson Wentz in the shotgun. He looks like he's going to run a flat route, and then he goes up, and the inside linebacker commits too hard to the flat route or gets caught up in some trash by one of the receivers over there. New England was all over that all day. So they took away that staple. And then in a lot of big situations, they were trying to get all over Zach Ertz. They were very aware of what he was. At times, they put Stephon Gilmore on him in some certain situations. You just said, we're going to let you man him up. Might as well. Right. And, hey, Carson Wentz, when he did hit Zach Ertz, for the most part, he was covered like glue. Yeah. He just threw a rifle right underneath his chin to yeah. where it's like, I, that was perfect coverage. There's nothing you can do. It was a perfect throw. Right. Uh, and I think that really kind of sums up the game on that side more than anything. I, I think evaluating Carson Wentz, yeah. and he's one of these guys, and numbers give us an indication, but with Carson Wentz, it, it's difficult to look at his stat line and attach that those numbers to what, how you felt watching him play. Yeah. It's kind of like the game against Atlanta early in the season. When right. He, he played with all kinds of courage and made big plays right. late. They had people they didn't hurt. win. Right. You look at his numbers, you're like, eh. Yeah. But, man, he gave you a great feeling watching. Yes, yes. And I, th- I thought it was similar against New England. That yep. he, he played his best in the fourth quarter. Right. His best throws came late. Yes, they did. Um, gave his team a chance, gave Aguilar a chance at the end. Yep. Um, so I had B- slash C+. Yeah, I, I think read that's this fair. As part of it. I think that's right um, there. I, I just have to remind myself, as much as saying it out loud to you, that yeah. he's a guy where the numbers don't always match up. No, they do not. He puts a lot of stress in your defense. And again, just for the last time before we move on to the Vikings game a little bit, Mm -hmm. is, again, there's nothing special on that offense right now. You just can't make chicken salad out of chicken shit sometimes. And they're not a chicken shit, like, but they're not an elite offense. They don't have elite talent. There's nothing in there that a game plan-wise where a team is going, oh, my gosh, we're shaking in our boots. Oh, we have to worry about Zach Ertz seven yards over the middle. Oh, my gosh, this is going to be a scary day. <laughs> you know, that's, that's really the big thing. They, they miss a Deshaun Jackson. Yeah, they do. They miss big an time. Alshon Defrey. Mm-hmm. And then just to flip it over on the other side right now, hey, Brady and that, they weren't real great. We know that. Yeah. Same kind of story. You know, they're just 
they don't have anything that scares you on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, the running game right now is not working to what they want it to do. They want, they're built to run the football. Philly's defense is real right now. They are. They're healthy. You know, with Jalen Mills and Ronald Darby and Avante Maddox out on the edge, they can play man-to-man. The safety plays good. Fletcher Cox is healthy. So that is no, like, joke of a defense they played either. They're very good. They are. And correct me if, if you think I'm wrong here, but I thought that the game plan and yeah. Tom Brady's play both felt very uninspired. Yeah, well, I think they realized that this was a tough one and that they were like, to what he said on his little interview on Monday, you know, they're a defensive team right now. He's, he's smart enough and man enough to check his ego at the door and go, mm-hmm. yeah, it's third and eight. I'm just going to throw the ball down to the ground. Like, I'm not going to let them get a four-yard touchdown drive and, and do those type of things. He realizes he's got a special unit on the other side of the ball, and he's just not going to force the issue. But he's also, he also felt as frustrated as, as he ever has been in a, in a post Well, definitely. I, I mean, I get it, too. You know, they, hey, listen, it's new receivers. You got Nikhil Harry in there for the first time, really. Yeah. Muhammad Sanu's still learning the offense. You know, Julian Edelman's not having a great year. There's no grind. He drops. Yes, yeah, right. So rare. The offensive line is not playing up to its capacity. And then I think that's also leading to Brady missing a few throws every now and then, too, because he's just like – the game feels crazy to him. It's and how like, many different ways can they throw a screen pass? Well, exactly right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and then that's one of the big things Philly did in the game is they took away what I always call with them and the Saints, their bullshit plays. Like, just where plays are you and me can complete it, yep. but they gash people three, four times a game with those type of plays, and Philly did not let that happen. Moving on to, yeah. to Broncos and Vikings. Yeah. Let's start this one out all under the umbrella of what happened right. on some key plays. This is a tweet from Rhett. Diggs 54-yard touchdown. Looked like maybe a dope design, maybe some great improvisation, definitely bad zone communication. What did you see? Yeah, well, uh, so great question by Rhett. And not necessarily a dope design. I won't say that. I thought it was was pretty good. Well, it's cool, but it's not like everybody's got this in their playbook. To me, um, This was this was the cool thing. It was cool that they were looking for the backside post off of a boot left, right? So that's what's cool about it. I think everybody has the play. Not everybody alerts that guy on the play. Okay. I I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if everybody has the play. And you're looking at me like I'm an asshole. No, I'm not. It means it's going to be fun. (laughs) I don't think everybody has the play where you where you fake. The run to the right. Right. You sprint seven yards to the left. Right. All with the hope that you're going to get that free safety to go with you. Yes. Which they did. Yes. And opened up perfectly for the post in where it he did. was supposed to it be. It did. So I think it was like everybody has the play where I would give them dope is going to alert it during the week through mm-hmm. preparation that they play a defense where the safety is pr- going to jump the crosser. Right. So what they were in basically is what I would call like gun F left. You said it. He's in the shotgun, the running backs to his left. Right. He fakes to the running back and then it's a bootleg to the left side, which they're amazing at. Right. And what I would like to say is I don't know where the hell that play went for three quarters. It's been the bread and butter all year. They outcoached themselves a little mm-hmm. bit in the first three quarters. Like I think they thought like Vic Fangio is not going to give us this these yeah. plays this week. Gave too much and they didn't credit. call him. Yeah. I was like. Am I in the third quarter and I haven't seen a bootleg yet? Like, what the hell is going on with the Minnesota Vikings? So I think they outthought themselves a little bit from that standpoint. But, you know, to say this, so here we go. It's gun F left. I called I went in New England offense here. I went one ride 134 X post, right? And the it was it was three four defense, right? Three down linemen, four linebackers. It was man coverage. And on the right side is Diggs. 
And Chris Harris has him man-to-man. I think it was man-free. I think there's a free yeah, man, yeah, yeah, man-free, yeah. right. That's what I mean by man coverage. You're right. i got to explain that better. Man-free. William Jacks is in the middle. He's the middle safety, number 22, who's a hell of a player. Chris Harris is when at the snap of the ball, and I'll pull this up if you wanted to look at it. He is playing eight yards, six yards off, mm-hmm. and I'm two or three yards inside. So he, to me, that tells you that, oh, I'm playing a coverage that if there's a crosser route, my safety's going to take it. I need to stop the post route. That's what, he, that was what his coverage and his alignment was all about. And so now the bootleg happens. Uh, Cousins is booting to his left. He sets up. And to me where the beauty of this is, is, is um, Stefan Diggs' route. Stefan Diggs kind of comes off kind of controlled, like, like oh, I'm not running real hard. I'm just going to stride it out. And then as soon as he kind of got to about the 10 to 12-yard mark, he hit it. Mm-hmm. And he went zoom, and he crossed underneath Chris Harris's face. And Chris Harris was not supposed to let him go inside. So he kind of gave him the, the rope-a-dope or the okie-dokie there, where he kind of, ah, I'm just chilling. I might run a clear-out go. I'm not a part of this play. And then he went zoom. And Kirk Cousins, to his credit, he booted out to the left. Yep. He saw he had nobody around him. Mm-hmm. And William Jackson does take the crosser. And bam, he throws really one of the best throws of the year for Kirk Cousins. And that's saying a lot because he's thrown a lot of damn good balls. He has. Yes, yeah. he has. Two things jumped out to me. Yes. I did like the design because it took the free safety and moved him just like throwing a board. They're like, boy, if we could get the free safety over there, we yes. could run the post. Right. And that little half rollout moved him. So I thought that, uh, to me, that stood out as, as pretty cool. Sure. Number two, and yep. just adding on to what you said about the throw, normally when you hit a post route, it's kind of an up and over, and we've seen Cousins do that a number of times. He throws a real pretty ball, right. a lot of trajectory, and lets the receiver run underneath it. Yep. This was more of a dart. It was a rifle. It was 45 yards, yes. just like you would throw a 20-yard seam route, and I didn't know Kirk Cousins had that in him to push it downfield with that kind of ball yep. and to put it right exactly on him. I agree. All right. I, I'm totally I'm with you. The throw was not a – it was like usually when you throw that route, you throw it way hard, high up, up in the over. air, almost like Carson Wentz's throw. Yeah. Let me throw it way out there and just let my guy he, go he get it. He drove this one. He drove it. Yeah. So here, here it is. See where he's lining up here? And we're taking a peek. So, so like, we're taking a peek. Radio. Radio. Here radio. we go. Yeah, you're better at radio than me. But either way, okay, it's two receivers to the right. All right, tight end to the left, another receiver to the left. Dalvin Cook in the shotgun next to Kirk Cousins to his left. He, now see, look where he is. Let's see, Chris Harris, I'm going to say is what, six yards off at the snap, clearly inside, right? Mm -hmm. He's on the edge of the inside numbers. I would say he's a yard and a yard half. Stephon Diggs outside the numbers. There it goes. Here goes Irv Smith on the crossing route. All right. Uh, Simmons, the safety 31, is, is going with him. I think his rule all the way here, I don't know. William Jackson, maybe he's wrong. Maybe he should be back over here. I, I don't know. Maybe he should be playing center field. If he, is playing, if he is playing center field, he's wrong. They might be telling him to watch out for crossers, maybe to watch something here. I think he ran with Cousins just, and was a little bit going thinking about the, the go route on the, on the other side. I, the you might be totally right. You might be totally right. I want to say they're giving him the freedom to kind of just play the eyes of Cousins because of the way Chris Harris lined up mm-hmm. to basically say, I'm not going to let anybody inside because my safety has his own set of rules for this play. But either way, see how he's kind of controlled? Like, watch how he's controlling them. Watch how Stefan Diggs hits it all of a sudden. Just boom. And all of a sudden, he crosses his face. He throws his hands up. And you're exactly right. Kirk Cousins throws great ball. just an absolute dime. And what the hell did I just do to that there? I just You made it disappear. It. I just made it and disappear. 
One more, one more shout out yeah. to Kirk Cousins. 29 yeah. out of 35. Right. Okay, he, he's piling up week after week of numbers similar to this. And just yeah. like I talked about with Lamar Jackson one week, I think it was 15 out of 17. And because he's doing this a number of times, right. he gets overlooked. Right. 29 out of 35, three touchdowns, no picks yes. against a very good defense. A very good defense. A top five defense in football. With three touchdown drives that they had to have in the fourth quarter. Clutch as it can get. Yeah. You're exactly right. And, you know, Again, there was just a lot of high degree of difficulties of throws. Other than the Mason, I mean, other than the Rudolph bootleg, where he's supposed to be. So just to th- hit that play. Speaking of, yeah, getting back to the to sorry. The, uh, let's go. Angle. Yeah, yeah. Shut, shut. Tell me to shut up sometimes. Podtastical. Yep. Which is quite a handle. Ooh, thank you. Uh, can you break down the Cousins bootleg touchdown to Rudolph? Yep. How was he that wide open? Yep. Okay. All right. So, uh, so basically, again, another bootleg, which. Again, I'm going to reiterate, it was crazy that we didn't see these plays a little more in the game in general uh, early on. And this Denver defense is very good, and I'm getting to it just so we can all pull it up and watch it together again, uh, you and I. But it is a bootleg left, and this is where a new guy and your defense screws it up. Duke Dawson, mm-hmm. a guy they had traded with, the New England Patriots. Where's he playing? Right? He is playing on this play. So to paint the picture for everybody, it's two tight ends. There's the tight end to the left, the tight end to the right. Stephon Diggs is the receiver to the left. And uh, 81 is the receiver to the right, who I'm blanking on his name, and it doesn't really matter for the purposes of this play. They're going to fake zone right, right? Kirk Cousins comes out from underneath center. He's faking the run to the right from Dalvin Cook. Oops, he keeps the ball. Boot left, like we always see, Okay. They are playing a cover three defense, right? And look at Simmons here. He's telling you as Rudolph is going across because he's lined up over Rudolph, he's yelling, crosser, crosser, crosser. And Duke Dawson, for some reason, is looking too much at Kirk Cousins or maybe expecting somebody to come in the flat, but his job in this coverage is to pass off the crosser and be there. And it's too late before he sees it, and the ball goes over his head, and it becomes a wide-open touchdown. I see something different. And yep. Tell me if I'm reading this the yes, wrong way. You probably I, are. I, I, agree. No. <laughs> I agree. I agree with yes. what you just pointed out. Right. However, three deep zone. Yes. So just by by basic virtue of that, the corner to the far side of the field has that third of the field. Yes, he does. He, deep. He takes the bait a little bit he and goes inside. He takes the bait a little he bit. He does. He followed the in route to the middle of the field. Yes. Well, it, and again, he's this is a this is one of the issues with like this the. the in his Cover three defense, Seattle match defense. At times they tell you because he's got people underneath to take the short crossers and things like that. It's kind of one of the things that's susceptible to this. It's definitely zone. You're right. He should not go in all the way. He's got Simmons who's coming back to drop in there to try to take away the middle of the field. But, yeah, realistically, he should not take those extra few steps in. When, uh, he, when he did that, yes. because there is a drop and, defender a couple yards off the line of scrimmage, right. when that corner was on the far side of the field mm-hmm. followed the in route, right. once he came to the middle of the field, from after you get past two yards beyond the line of scrimmage, right. there's nobody on the far third of the field from there. There is the, nobody. Not one person. No, there's nobody. Now, I'm just, I'm just telling you the rules of the Seattle-type match defense, what they're trying to run here, okay? And, again, Stefan Diggs, the receiver to the left, is in a tight split. He's in a tight split, so that makes him tighter as well, right? He's lined up on the hash almost, basically, as the play goes. And they're not just going to let people run across the middle of the field wide open. They're not. At some point, he's going to match him, especially when the receiver to his side, Mm -hmm. the the second receiver, the other tight end, Irv Smith, does not go out. He has no indicator that, oh, they're going to screw me over there. 
if this is just a good play at the right time and a guy who's supposed to be sitting here waiting for the crosser is not there. Do I agree with what you're saying with Chris Harris? Do I think he should stay over there a little bit more? Definitely. But it's one of the susceptible areas of their, uh, their, this kind of defensive call. Like if you see, I, I, you know, I don't want to get too in the weeds here, but if you watch Seattle over the years, they're playing cover three. And if you ran a 16-yard in cut on Richard Sherman and he doesn't see the slot receiver to his side threatening that third, he's told to follow him in, match. That's why it's a match zone. I mean, so it almost becomes man. It becomes man. Right. Right. Shouldn't he have seen Rudolph? I don't think them? he should. I think his keys are the second, the tight end. So he's only keying his two guys to his side okay. to threaten him. I, I, and again, I could be wrong, but I know a lot about that defense whether it's just my years in New England and friends around the NFL who I have a lot of conversations with, mm -hmm. those are just one of the rules of it. Again, if Irv Smith, the tight end here, did something somewhat to threaten that, I think he widens and stays wide. But because number two, the tight end, which is almost a slot receiver in this, he blocks, his indicators basically go, I have Stefan Diggs kind of man-to-man -man here. Right. right. So to answer the question yes. that we were attending to yes. on Twitter, you saying they just caught him. They caught him at the right time with a very good play caught call. Caught him right play. And Duke Dawson, who's new in the system, does not drop back and stay back in his area as the underneath coverage is trying to pass off an intermediate crosser. That's right. what this defense is all for. That's what killed Seattle. Think about the first play of the Super Bowl for the Denver Broncos. All right, the first play was this missed snap. Oh, yeah. The second play, when they get the ball back, mm -hmm. Peyton Manning throws a shallow crosser to Demarius Thomas, and he gets absolutely yeah, obliterated, yeah. right? Yeah. Because everything was, they're in man-to-man. -man. This is the beauty of the Seattle defense at the time. It looked like man, but they would pass off the crossers. Once you left your little, I'm playing you man, but only in this little area. And then once you leave this area, I go back to my zone. And that's where Cam Chancellor crushed Demarius Thomas, and that was the beauty of the Seattle defense in general. You're not buying me all the way here. I know no, you're not. I, I can tell you're looking no, at your no. face. I'm listening. I can tell. All right, I'm good. listening. All right. I'm listening <laughs> and looking at where we're going next. All right. I would like to keep in mind that maybe the backside corner wasn't supposed to come in as well. Sure. Maybe. Sure. Just maybe. Sure. I get you. I, I, uh, uh, these are all maybes. Right. I'm not in the fucking meeting room with them. All I'm trying to tell people is what I see on film. Yeah. My yeah. years of being around football and learning, these are things that I think happened here. I give you the benefit of the doubt. But, um, but in the NFL, with a good coach like Vic Fangio, week mm -hmm. to week, little rules with certain defenses get tweaked and changed. So I don't know. There's I something could be I would wrong. not have known had you not pointed yeah. that out. Yeah. Let's go to the other side, uh, other side of this matchup. The Broncos end of the game sequence. Yes. Um, they had three shots at the end zone. Three shots at the end zone. All three fell incomplete. All three fall incomplete. I mean, hey, they convert, first off, two fourths and six and a fourth and one on this last drive of the game. They call time. They're la they had two timeouts going into this drive. They called two of the timeouts before the fourth, two of the fourth downs in general, just to make sure, hey, let's get our new quarterback, Brandon Allen, and everybody there ready to go. So, you know, the big thing is, yes, they have a fourth down, a fourth and six, and Brandon Allen scram scrambles, right? Yes. He scrambles all second, the way. Second, fourth, and six, they converted on that drive. Right, second, yeah, they, and they converted a fourth and one, one other time somewhere in between those two. So you're exactly right. He scrambles to the right, and what does he get down to? What, what yard line is he on? I, I, I think he's on the four-yard line, maybe. I think it's the four, right? Yep. He scrambles all the way down to the four. Now, this is where offensive play callers and coaches get too greedy at times. Like, just go spike the ball, okay? When he goes down, 
All right? And it's – they snap that ball at 27 seconds. When he goes down, you know, it's like 21, somewhere in there. If they just – if they just down it and spike it, it's going to be probably 17 seconds left in the game. And you're going to have three plays from the four-yard line with 17 seconds. They got three off. They did get three. So that's, this is where it's, it ends up not being as a big a deal but because they get three. I right. what you're saying. Yeah. And, the, and this is where the other thing is. So he gets the first. They're trying to be greedy and not spike the ball because they're going to go, oh, we're going to run four plays. And I'm going to go, no, you're fucking not going to run four plays because you're going to waste time here trying to call this first play because you're going, oh, we got the first down. Oh, 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 call, call, 374. And then, you know, he's trying to tell everybody. And all of a sudden, yeah, the clock's running out. They get bailed out by Mike Zimmer. Mike Zimmer calls a timeout yes. with 10 seconds because he is now going, wait, we're a little disorganized too. And I'd rather just call a timeout and coach my guys up real quick, which I have no problem with that. Now, he could have took the other way of, like, New England versus Seattle in the Super Bowl where Bill Belichick saw that the Seattle Seahawks were all flustered and crazy before they got down there to that one-yard line. And if you watch America's game, he basically says that's why he didn't call right, a timeout. Exactly. Because I could tell they were flustered and didn't know what's going on. And, of course, he felt very – like his team was very prepared for what they might do down in that area, right? right. So they call the timeout. Now, I think the big – so now the big thing is – the first play, they run the fade stop. Correct. To the right side, to 81 Patrick. That was the Patrick. first and the third play. The first and the third play, yes. right. First one's to 81 Patrick. Yep. The second play ends up being the Y out to Noah Fant, right? Yes. Right. Which was good coverage. Yeah. Right. I mean. Underthrown, ball knocked down. Exactly it right. It was the only one of the three in the sequence that didn't really have a chance. Agreed. The other ones were 50-50 balls where you thought, ooh, this, this looks okay here, yeah. right? Right. What do you think of both, uh, both pass catchers? 81 on the first attempt. Right. Again, same play, fake yeah. stop, throw it hard, throw yep. fastball, right. and then no fan at the end. Yeah, well, there was a lot of contact. I think that's the first thing you can say. And I have no problem with that. Those are instances where, like, refs, stay the fuck out of the game unless it's, like, something like the guy literally tackled him or something like that. Would you call either one or both of them drops? I would call them – I don't think I would call them drops. I don't think I would call them drops. I would call them, like, I would like them to catch the ball, yeah. but and because we see it so much – but with the amount of contact and fighting there, I think it's tough. I do think it's a tough catch. Now, Noah Fan at the end, you know, hey, curse is all over him. Yep. I mean, he's kind of pulling his shoulder, and you could see the jersey detach from the shoulder a little bit and all of that. But, again, I'm all for that. He, he also initiated contact yes, when did. they ran into yeah. each other, and he throws his hands into him, right? So the moral of the story is here's two things that jump out to me. First off, spike the ball. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can change your last three play calls now because you don't have to worry about, oh, we just got to throw a ball and get it out of our hand real quick. Okay, that would be the first thing. Maybe you can do another play where it's a pick play and I can wait for people to cross and do things like this. And it might take, the play might take five or six seconds each play, right? But now, because they're trying to get three plays off in 10 seconds, they're going to do really like, hey, one-on-one, -on -one, just get it right. out of your hand and throw it up and hopefully our guy can catch it, right? Right. So... That's where I think not spiking the ball hurts them. Added to the fact of, for the second week in a row, Mike Zimmer, as we talked about with the Cowboy game last week, he was not going to let Amari Cooper beat him last week. He wasn't going to let Sutton beat him this week. They doubled Sutton's ass all three plays. They were like, you want to win this game? We're not going to let the number 14, who's been fucking us all game long for 113 yards, he's not going to beat us. I give Zimmer a lot of credit for that. And then my last thing of this would be, man, you had all week to game plan, and we just went with two go routes. Like, that's what just drives me crazy. 
on the last play of the game, you can run one of those design plays. Right. You know, you got as much time as you want. But they did have big pass catchers one on one. That was the theme of the game, and really. Both of them, both of them got their hands. They had ball. chances. You're right. They had chances. You're right. And really, the game itself. They made those plays all game long. Yeah. I mean, the game, if you watch what Denver did on offense, it was throw it up to Brand- Cameron, uh, Cortland Sutton and throw it up to Tim Patrick right. one-on-one, and they abused Rhodes and Trey Waynes yeah. throughout the game. So they went back to that well but one to more time. To your point, you, you would think that they had two or three plays that they loved in that situation. They were actually like intricate schemes I just, where you can make a read as opposed just, to recess. Hey, you got one-on-one. I'm going to throw it at you. just drives me crazy. Oh, we, we worked in the office for 130 hours this week. You right. run straight. And you run straight. I've been grinding in here all week, honey. Honey, I've been grinding. I drew a, I drew a straight line. It was tough. Uh, and that just drives me crazy. Couldn't come home for dinner because. Yes, because I was drawing straight lines. Yeah, yeah. All right, now I'm done. Uh, that With was that it. accent, you should you, you should introduce the old man. Hey, it's that guy from Kentucky. His <laughs> name is Philip Martin Sims. The initials are PMS. Phil Sims, everybody. Yay. Hey, Dad. Big Phil. Hey, how are you guys? He's like, good. Yeah. Man, oh, man, yeah. that was Paul. Yeah. Paul. Yeah. My God, that was some rant. Yeah. <laughs> I can't yeah. help it sometimes. But it's Dad, okay. You, know. you, you, you are right. Everybody always runs up and tries to spike the damn ball. Right? Well, they're so it's, greedy. No, it's an epidemic because they practice it. And, you know, when we go up there, it really works good. Well, yeah, because practice is not the game. Right. You know, it's a, oh, you know, we can get this next playoff. Those things uh, are always misinterpreted by coaches, by practice, by even practicing it, whatever. It's always going to be slower in the game. So that's one thing. Those passes you are talking about, I don't think either one of those guys, uh, Patrick or Noah Fant, are really ready. In other words, they didn't look those like were easy decisions for the quarterback. Right. And he might have thrown it too hard, I don't know, whatever. But you throw him hard, it's yep. back shoulder automatically. They got to turn their body and catch it literally with their right, think about this, their right shoulder has to be more up and left shoulder back. Right. So they, neither one of them did it. Um, it Yeah, they probably have practiced it, but it it sure didn't look like it was polished. And those are, that's just a read between the quarterback and receiver. And when you work together with them, you know this throw, you know what you're going to do. You know you're going to make the right decision about 95% of the time on how to throw that fade, a fade, back shoulder, over the top of the head, whatever it is, low and outside. Everybody knows if you have experience together what that throw is going to be. Yeah, no doubt about it. But I was impressed. Sudden, some of these guys, you know, I watched him. He just gets better and better. You know, he, he catches your eye. He uh, does. Just, during the day, I just looked at other receivers, you know. Uh, Galladay at Detroit. I said, yeah, hey, I don't know about him, but I don't know when I stopped questioning that. Maybe last year or whatever. I said, right. okay, wrong again there, big baby. And, you know, things like that. The other thing I took this week out of, just watching the Raiders, uninspired, all that stuff when they played. But... The Raiders draft. Did we talk about that when you look at it? Well, I, I don't know, but it is. It was a phenomenal draft. You're right. I, I mean, it is not. It's they got to be so excited about everybody. Yeah, and, they and are. now probably just starting to get uh, a little excited about Farrell. Right. You know, because he's, he's probably been up. the slowest one to come along. Yeah, exactly. Right. 
you know so that that's been well that that's been pretty cool to watch just yeah. just just that no, you know, just the, their draft picks how good they've been and then I forgot about you know uh, shoot, what's his name? I should have brought it up. Mullen. I forgot that yeah, that was Trayvon the Clemson Mullen, corner, the second round corner. Yes. Yeah, right. it was a very good. Clemson. That's so. That's for yeah. sure. Phil. All right, we got to get you on some quarterbacks. Yeah, let's do it. Go All ahead. Right. So, Josh Allen. I know you're not a big stat guy, Phil, but no interceptions the last five games. Well, yeah, I, I look at that stat, and but you know, I look at that stat always in the context I watch the game and then decide. Yeah. But yeah, it's great. He's. What do you see when you watch him? Well, more calm uh, this year, no question. Uh, a better thrower underneath. It's gotten better as the year has gone along. Yep. His motion has definitely gotten shorter on the short passes, which is really important because so, you can control the speed of the ball. And uh, what else? Running with the ball, his ability to break tackles, to still not take big hits, and, of course, to make – Really special throws, not just the one down the sideline that he threw to uh, uh, John Brown, right. but some other ones over the middle with three people around him. You can't see the ball on the, on the film as it goes through there, right. and he gets completions, uh, drops his arm, threw a couple off his back foot. So I don't know. Am I saying enough good things about him? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and you know, it's not like he's. It's not like he plays on an offense that's what I call. You know, quarterback friendly. Right. I mean, it, it's so? just not. So, and, and you know, Matt was just in here, Christopher and Paul, my yeah. other son, and we were watching. He, I was watching tapes. He was watching. He goes, "Yeah, you know, my son is what's the word for him, Christopher? Um, sarcastic, sarcastic or whatever. Red ass. Well, he's a Sims, I guess. Is well, what you're saying. yeah. He just goes, <laughs> all those people. Hey, let, let's redraft those quarterbacks now. What are we gonna hear? Oh, we gonna hear about his completion percentage, and right. he went, just went into our mode. I was like, oh boy, <laughs> uh, I guess this is how I raise you kids, but that's the way it is. But uh, yeah, now what do you now what do you say? Because you know, Christopher, you can't, and Paul, you can't, you can't teach accuracy. Oh, that's uh, you. Oh, okay. Sure, you can't. You're right. You're right. We can't teach the nose tackle how to put his left hand on the right shoulder of the center and push. That's just asking way too much. I mean, Josh Allen was put on earth to throw something. That was evident from the time I watched him in Wyoming. The tremendously awful offense in Wyoming to uh, horrific personnel. Right, right. And and I remember saying this: if he threw as many screens as the other quarterbacks, yes, his percentage would have been just about as high as theirs. Right. Let's go from somebody who hasn't thrown a pick to a trio of guys who threw four over the weekend. I want your thoughts on each one of these. It can be what they did in this last game, or just big picture. Philip sure. Rivers with four interceptions last week. Is this uh, close to the end? Well, of the it was line? really bad. It was just yeah. bad. Here's why it's bad in many ways, because we saw it the week before. And, you know, there I am watching the Denver Broncos play the Minnesota Vikings up in Minnesota. And I'm sitting there thinking, Brandon Allen, when he tries to throw it hard, he it could hit row two. Right. You know, it, it gets away from him. That's okay. But you know what I saw? I just go, well, they're running play actions. He breaks the pocket. He yeah. scrambles. Right. He buys time to throw. Right. All these things. And it adds up. I go, I kind of like the way their offense looks now. Yeah, right. It just has a little flow to it. Yes. Much better than yes. it did with Joe Flacco. And, you know, the so my answer there, Paul, is you're really stuck to one type of offense there with the Los Angeles Chargers. I think it's really questionable what happens. Just the fact that 
that uh, Anthony Lynn, what did he say? Well, we're, we're not going to have, we're not looking at a quarterback change right now or something like that. Uh, I don't know. I, I, they're going to play the season out. What can they do? How can they turn? What if they win their last five? Does that make them stay with what they're doing? I, I don't know. My answer would be to all that is no. They have to find another way to try to win football games. And, you know, look, you're the coach and general manager and all that. I don't know. You've got to worry about your job, too. Right. That's right. How about so Mason Rudolph? It's, it's Mason really Rudolph, interesting, though. Picks. It's just interesting how uh, the Kansas City game, it hit me the week before, but the Kansas City game really hit me. Yes. Just that game of all. Just right. Yeah. So, um, and what would you say, Mason Rudolph? Yeah. Mason Rudolph yeah. also threw four. Yeah. Bench him, well, keep him. Just, I don't know what to say. He's just not a he's not a top flight NFL thrower. We know that for sure. Right. Um, just doesn't have a strong arm. I even hear people on TV talking about it. And then, you know, you don't have. I'm not overrating arm strength, but it's not it's not average arm strength for the NFL. Throws yeah. it deep, nice. He is big. I like that. You know, he can move around a little, but um, you know, just the. You know, here's what happens. You talk about backup quarterbacks, and they can come in and oh man, it looks good. He's great. It's this. It's working because you got a motion. You got everybody a little more excited. There's something going on to try to help them. But once it just wears out after three, four, five weeks, it's over. Right. Then you realize, man, because you know it. The plays add up on you. Your starter's not in there. Oh, we missed two plays this week. Oh, there's a couple more, and all of a sudden you lose a game or two that you shouldn't have lost. And that's why, you, you know, that's why you, there's a big separation on most teams between the starter and the backup. It, it's, it, you know, it's gotten lost in the shuffle a little bit with Mason Rudolph because of what happened at the end of the game, you know, with him getting yeah. hit over the head. He, he played absolutely pitiful in that game. And I hope he's okay, and I certainly didn't like And I give him, you know, I, I have a sympathy card for what happened to him at the end of the game. But we're just talking about football here. Yeah. Yeah. He, was, he was horrible. There's only well, way to say it. He got Juju Smith-Schuster hurt by throwing it into a, a, a mosh pit of defenders. There was no cheap shot there by anybody in Cleveland. He threw it into quadruple coverage. He got the guy killed. I mean, the guy hit him just running straight up. He didn't even duck his head. Greedy Williams it hit him with his face because right. he was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to intercept this. You just threw it into four of us. His motion's too over the top for me, Dad. Well, it's, it's, it's really, really over the top. Right. He actually throws ball, footballs, especially when they're crossing the field. Over the middle, unless it's a lob one, you know, the deep crosser lob, he's yeah, okay. Right. But when he tries to throw it in, cut that all, not to jump on him too much, but almost everyone has one common denominator. It's either going to be high and, well, this, high and behind. Yeah, it's high and behind Because the ball lot. almost tails to the right yeah. as he throws it. Right. And that's, that's you know, people, like I say, it's teach them whatever, but I just know that that's a big thing that stops him from throwing the football with a little more power yep. and definitely with more accuracy. All right, Jameis Winston. This is one that's, you know, I, I always find tough. He threw four interceptions again, too. I know, right. you, I know we both think that his good is really good, but his bad is horrific. So what, what are your thoughts there? Well, here, you know, I'm thinking they'll give him another year. I've said that for a few weeks, but after this past week, again, I just went, oh, my gosh. I just, you know, oh, touchdown. There, they're back in the game again. Oh, interception. Pick six, right. Game's I haven't over. watched the game on tape yet, Yeah. Uh, but I did watch it, you know, on TV and everything. And Jameis Winston is like the golfer who can hit it 350 down the middle, and he can birdie every hole. 
but also he's just crushed it for nine holes, and then for the next three holes, he hits it out of bounds five times. Right, right. And and I would say, if I really just watched him super close and watched him, that he miss, misses the target by himself with time to throw and all that minimum three to four times a game. Right. Now, we all know that doesn't sound like a lot. That's a lot for an NFL thrower. And to be two yards off target on a curl route is the difference between getting a completion and maybe a run and interceptions. And those plays have been happening to him. And he is definitely another one. It it just his hand, you know, I'm not going to get into all that. But it it gets away from him down yep, the field, it and does. it's either long, high interception, and I see it almost every single week. Yeah, let's bring this. And it'll be interesting. There's still thing that hit That's my mind from the both of you. Yeah. yeah, is start looking at every team, and then pencil in who you know is going to stay at quarterback, and who could be floating out there. Yeah, and I'm telling you that list is tw- I'll bet you 20 deep of quarterbacks that have played and started or whatever in this league right. that are going to be roaming around out there. There's going to be a lot of, I think, a lot of quarterback movement this offseason. Which one do you like the best, the Phil? Position. On, on that list in your mind, which which one would you covet the most? Well, I, I can't think of the list. I did it last week on Showtime. I named about 20 guys. But just, just take Washington. Just start with them for one. Case Keenum and uh, Colt McCoy, Cole McCoy yeah. both could be there. Yeah, Tannehill you know, and Mariota in Tennessee, they could Mariota's be Mariota's going to be there. That's right. right. You know, what's going to happen to Phillip Rivers? Is right. Eli Manning going to try to play another year somewhere? Will that happen? I mean, it just just keep going through it. It's yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Joe Flacco, what's he going to do? Yeah, Cam Newton, you know. Cam Newton, where's right. he going to end up? What's right. going to happen with Mitchell Trubisky? Right. How about Andy Dalton? How's that, how's that right. just yeah. for a start right. call right. of guys that we're asking? Alex Smith might be back in football next year. Right. Well, yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. Man, that would be a miracle from what all I've heard he's gone yeah. through. But, yeah. yeah, just think of Andy Dalton on the open market. That's right. Would you love to have Andy Dalton as your backup oh to protect your team? Definitely. Especially if you were going to draft a quarterback high that you wanted to sit behind yeah, somebody for a Yeah, maybe a bridge season? quarterback, too. Perfect. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, well, you know, the bridge quarterback really, that's it's that bridge is really short, <laughs> as we all see now. Yes, it, it is. As soon as we lose a game – or the quarterback doesn't play the way we want. We got to get. We got to right. get going. Yeah. yeah, you're right. So you know, but that it, it's really going to be an interesting off season with the quarterbacks coming out. Yeah, yep. Teddy Bridgewater. We didn't say him. I mean, he's in that. Teddy Bridgewater's going to yep. be out there. There right. you go. Yeah. Right. This is so I just sat down for a few be. minutes and yeah. did this one day, and yeah. I just and I just wrote it down. Somebody goes, God, that's unbelievable. That's I go, list. yeah. It's it's going to be an uh, interesting offseason for the NFL and the quarterback position. Yeah, let's bring this to a close here, uh, this way here, Phil. Which four interception quarterback from last week, we've hit three of the four, would you want as your starting quarterback next year? Rivers, Rudolph, Jameis Winston, or Kyle Allen? Uh, Jameis Winston. Yeah, just based off of what? Just, just that I think I can fix him a little. He just makes so many big plays. He is mobile. He's big. Uh, he's got experience. And let's help him out a little more. You know, let's don't ask him to throw the ball, just rip it in there all the time. And, you know, Bruce Arians has had great success in the NFL. I saw him with Andrew Luck and what he's done through all of his quarterbacks or whatever. And it is really down-the-field throwing and yeah, that that's great if we do some of it off a of play action and not just dropping back, stand in there and let it go. Right, right. And 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 you know, unless 
I'll just stop at this. Yeah. Jameis Winston is one of those guys, if you tweak him just a little, what do you get? Okay. Now we've seen Lamar Jackson. He tweaked it just a little bit. Right. A lot better this year. Right. you got to admit Definitely. that he's throwing the ball much better this year, yes. controlling the football. And, you know, he loves to drop his arm down and throw his sidearm a little that way and underneath or whatever because that makes him – that's when he really feels good. Because what did he tweak? What, what did he tweak, Phil, that you see? With, with who? With Jackson. Lamar? Yeah, because he's certainly well, better. He's definitely moving his upper body more and just really relaxing, not falling forward when he throws the football. But his arm is not, you know, too over the top either. It was way over the top at times last year. Yeah, he got too armed. Like he's got such a flexible yeah, arm. Sometimes mid. he's so gifted that way. It yeah. was. It's like, like to Dad's golf reference. It was like he was he was reaching back for 350 every time, and you're yeah. just like 320 down the middle is fine. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that that's great. And you know, even like you saw. When he threw the post, I forgot who caught it in the, t- the end zone. Was it Andrews? Probably Andrews. Somebody else I thought caught one. But even that throw, nobody's. he just kind of turned. He went around the ball a little more, more than I, than he usually does. And it wasn't like a perfect spiral, but it was dead on target. That was what was important. And, hey, look, we keep talking about this running, and everybody tells me this and that. And they say, well, this is going to change. Yeah, okay, you let me know when the next Lamar Jackson comes along, would you? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Okay, and then, yeah. and then that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a good point. You're right. The NFL, not, and, yeah. and he's yeah. going to slowly morph into a quarterback that stands in there more as time goes along. Yes, right. Look at Lamar Jackson in college running the football and then look at him now. Yeah. And what will you see, son? As far as running the football? Yeah, yeah, I mean, first the first thing you're going to notice, from Louisville to now, it looks like he's he's a man. And back then, he was just a young guy still growing. I got you. You're right. You're right. That is a good point. Because His it body's does. His already mu- getting bigger. It is. Muscles are popping out. His damn neck is the thickest neck in the quarterback history. Yeah, know that. Well, yeah, him and Dak Prescott. I mean, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever neck exercises they're doing, uh, well, I, I don't know. Somebody, I do, if I was a middle linebacker, I would do them. Yeah. But, but, but it, it's, you know, you're going to slowly pull back. And I, it's, that, that's, he's learning. He stays in the pocket. Uh, he doesn't run him really until you make him. Right. So all those things are good, but that speed will slowly go away from you because one time you do get bigger and you don't train like you did in college. Right. Now you both remember college. Yeah, it's running My every God. day. Right. Mm-hmm. You don't, now their all season comes. Well, I got to rest, and I'm gonna right. rest for eight, yeah. ten weeks. It's and a then mistake I'm gonna do everybody makes. Yeah. Then we got six weeks off. You know, after they got, I got to rest up and. You know, it's not like when you're in college when it was 12 months a year you were training. Right. Mm-hmm. So you the man, Dad. Thoughts. You the man. No, that was Dad. That was good shit, good. man. Way to go. Well done. Way to contribute to the podcast. Way to go, dude. Well, you know, I, I thought I, maybe I was contributing some way because I don't know where you got Paul. Yeah. The when he curses, make yeah. him give you ten bucks, <laughs> and then then that'll pay for your mortgage every year. You'll be fine. We can so. have a swear jar. All right, maybe we'll do that. Get a, get a swear sense. jar. Yeah. I like that. All right. Yeah, that's coming next yeah, week. Yeah, but put some pressure on yourself, son. Let's All go. Right. All right, Dad. I'll see you, All right, man. see you guys. See you, yeah. Phil. Be good. All right.
Swear jar. All right, that's not happening. <laughs> okay, it's not happening. Yeah. All right, here we go. I got a cool thing yep. that I got to talk about, and I've been doing this lately, and I've really been enjoying it. Campbell's Chunky Chats. Okay, Campbell's soup. You know all about it. Delicious soups. I'm a soup guy, but now I want to take a quick moment to tell you about something I'm doing with Campbell's Chunky Soup. Throughout the rest of the season, I'll be sitting down with former NFL players as we discuss the many ways that football is family. In the latest interview, in the latest episode, excuse me, I interviewed the dual threat legend, running back Matt Forte. Take a quick listen here. When did you know, like, okay, I'm I'm damn good at this sport? First year. First year? Actually, and it never really. You know what? Yeah. First practice. First practice. I'll tell you a story. So first practice I come out. Yeah. And uh, we we line up to do a tackling drill. You got the dummies and the cones. And, you know, the coach blows the whistle, and I got the ball. And as a kid, his name was, uh, I still remember his name, Jarrell. Jarrell. And uh, Jarrell had played at six, like I wanted to. Right. So he had a year under his belt. Big kid. And so I'm sitting there, I got the ball, they blow the whistle. I run up all sky high, smack. I get smacked. I'm on my <laughs> back, and my dad comes over. I got a little tear, like, coming down my eye. Right. He looks at me, and my dad, you know, he played, you know, college. You know what yeah. football about. He looks yeah. down at me and goes, well, son, that's football. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, he has no sympathy for me or anything. No, no. So in that moment, I go, I get up, and I was like, I want to go again. <laughs> awesome. So true. Yeah, right? And, yeah. Uh, and then I mean, he gets on to it. And it wasn't long after that where he started to take over, okay, Matt Forte. Right. But uh, Matt Forte really kind of ahead of his time as far as that running back, receiving yeah. threat out of the backfield. Really One of the good. first of his kind, really. But to hear that whole thing, uh, head to NBC Sports YouTube. That, on that page, you'll see all those interviews. I've done that. You know, my dad, I did him as the first one. Just did one with Santana Moss, right? Saw the him, University yeah. of Miami legend yeah. and Washington Redskins legend. Uh, did one with my ex-teammate, Rondé Barber. So all these will be coming out. And really, the big thing is, you know, Campbell's is doing a great thing here about football and family. All of our families were so important and integral in what we did on the football field. I know for you, for yeah. me, it just, it's, they, I wouldn't be who I am if weren't for my family and the support my mom and dad gave me and the things they taught me along the way. So that's where we're trying to like dive into those things. And, you know, I just, again, football players, I don't feel like enough people know football players. We just look at them, hey, that's number 20 and the face mask and nobody knows what makes like. It's different than NBA and basketball where everybody gets to see their face and we know right. people. And I take great pride in like, let's get the world to know some of these football players. They're not just on your fantasy roster. They're not just pieces of meat that go out there and crush people and like yeah. oh I'm a tough meathead football player right. no they're humans and there's usually great stories behind it and that's where uh, I really thank Campbell's for letting me kind of have this little pedestal to, to talk to these guys on yeah. the, our Campbell's chunky chats so it, 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 it works good and it's nice to get guys when they're they're not too far removed from the game. Yeah. But they, they're away from just speaking in uh, political, politically correct. Yeah, like, not worried about, yeah. right, they can just let it go. They're not worried about hurting my you're teammate or my coach. You're allowed to get to know them. Exactly you're right. To, because they don't have that shield up. No doubt. Matt Forte talking about, you know, oh, that's football? Yeah, you know, right. Getting knocked around. Right. Oh, I don't, do I yeah. like this? Yeah, I do. Let's yeah, do it yeah, yeah, yeah. And everybody has a moment like that. Definitely. Very Definitely. cool. Yep. Uh, All right. Back to back to what the back heck to, happened. Oh, well, you already Phil's checking out. Oh, fuck, Phil's in my fuck head. Fuck Phil. Fuck him. I'm Don't worry him. about him. <laughs> Say that about your dad. Who the fuck cares about him? All right. What the fuck happened? <laughs> back to it on the uh, Zeke Elliott game clinching touchdown catch. Yes. Great game, Cowboys Lions. Yes. But what happened on that game winning play? Well, game winning play, and you know, oddly enough, we talked about Bill Belichick. What all out blitzing in big moments, yep. right? Well, this was a big moment. All right. 
it's, it's third down. Dak Prescott's got the ball. He's in the shotgun. And here it comes, basically. It's not an all-out uh, – it, oh, no, it is. I'm getting this – it's an all-out blitz. They're yeah. coming. They're, 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 they're going to try to force the hand of Dallas and, you know, not let him score a touchdown, maybe get a sack, hold him to a field goal, hopefully get the sack and make the field goal longer, put the pressure on him that way. This is in the DNA of a lot of defensive coordinators, and especially a Matt Patricia who, like Bill Belichick, plays man-to-man a lot, plays too much man-to-man, in my opinion, just to say that right out the bat, because he doesn't have Bill Belichick's secondary. He doesn't have the talent there. So some of those guys, I just think it's a little unrealistic at times to be playing man-to-man. But, you know, the big thing is, and, and I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure this was the first screenplay Dallas threw the whole game. So they and I, and I, you know I don't know I wasn't charting it so I don't Just know running back through it but either there, either way if there was another screen maybe it was one it others. wasn't like watching the Patriots where it was like nine or ten no or yes it was, certainly wasn't a theme of the game where I was going oh yep. the screens right like I, I don't remember it and I could be wrong but either way it was a very limited amount but really a great call in the perfect moment against the perfect defense. And this is, again, where film study comes into play, and Kellen Moore probably had a good beat. And, ooh, in these situations, throughout watching the first 10 weeks of the year, Patricia likes to dial it up here. And he basically calls, yes, the the exact right play here to where he's got three receivers to the left, a receiver to the right, and here they come. They're going to bring the all-out blitz. They're all coming. And, you know, what happens is Prescott's in the shotgun, Zeke Elliott's to his right, and none of them, nobody in the front recognizes the screen because they're all going, like, hey, coach called them blitz. We're going to go get them, and yep. they fly up. So nobody really has a feel for it. And, and basically what happens is Zeke Elliott kind of acts like he's in a block and then floats out to the right side. What a play by him. What a play by him. The, the, the beauty oh of the play gosh. was the catch, right? Yes. yes, because Dak did not throw a real good ball to him. Threw a low, hard, and outside yes. ball, right? And we talked last week about, you know, that, that combination or potential combination was at the heart of one of the main plays we talked about, Cowboys Vikings. He tried to hit him. He tried to hit Zeke on the out route. Right. He was covered by Kendricks. So now it comes back. It wasn't like it wasn't a tough route, but I think for a running back to go from that kind of fingertip catch with that kind of balance from catch and being off balance to when he was at full speed was like that. Yes, was it that it was as incredible of a little, you know, tiny little part of a play as a running back had all week. Well, I mean, it is where he he is a gifted pass catcher. He is. Now, to last week, it's not necessarily a gifted route runner like we not want. Not at all. But I get you. Yeah. You're right. He's He's got sweet hands. He catches oh the ball gosh. with ease. And switched it and to the one flexibility. hand the other. Right. To and keep, to keep his hands, I mean, to keep his hand down. You're right. Exactly right. Uh, he is special that way. And he's pliable and athletic. So they had Jason Witten to the right, three receivers to the left. And because they're in cover zero, see, the beauty of these kind of plays here is you know, when nobody in the front kind of sniffs out the, the blitz itself, everybody's in man-to-man coverage downfield, so their back's turned. So Dak Prescott, you know, he's kind of fading away, holding the ball to let the receivers get down the field and let the screen develop, and, you know, nobody's paying attention because they're locked onto their man. And so that's where the beauty of the play is, let alone Travis Frederick, Zach Martin, they get out. Now the one guy that's there to be covering Zeke Elliott is I want to get his name right, uh, 44, Reeves Mabin, right? He's in a tough spot here because he is following Zeke Elliott out. He's about two to three yards off the line of scrimmage, and he's, he's there. But the problem is that 
Zach Martin, the right guard, and Frederick, the center, get out so clean that when the ball is thrown to Zeke and he tries to like come down to make the play, they're already there to form a little wall around Zeke. And Zach Martin gets a hat on Reeves Mabin, and he has no chance to make the play. Plus, you said the great catch where Zeke then spins outside, mm. and you know the Red Sea parts. There's no one there. All that really has to happen after that is that Jason Witten, who was the receiver to that side, just has to make sure he gets a piece of the guy that's now recognizing, oh gosh, Zeke Elliott caught a screen let me do it he does a great job of kind of making a block pushing the guy out of the way and you know uh, and Zeke kind of cuts inside and gets a very easy touchdown which really broke the backs of the Detroit Lions and put them in a tough spot with Jeff Driscoll at quarterback and everything like that you know the the chances of them winning that type of game were not good I asked you for a letter grade on Carson Wentz a little while ago right what grade would you give the deck oh he was phenomenal in this game I mean yeah, it's A+. Plus. Which uh, part of his game do you like the best? Oh, I think the big thing I would take away really more than anything, it's his team. It's his offense. Mm-hmm. They are not playing like run-first football anymore. They are put, put Dak back there. Either it's play action, shotgun, and I think you and I will see the same thing here. I don't yeah. know. I haven't talked to you about it. They don't give him a lot of, like, slam dunk completion. No, They're no. not throwing, like, screens, and he's not throwing, like, balls behind the line of scrimmage or three yards passes. Every ball is, like, yes. 10, 20, yeah. 15, 20, yeah. 10, 20. Deep shot downfield. Yeah. I mean, again, a little like we talked about the Kirk Cousins, the degree of difficulty it's, in throws is pretty high, right? It's high, yes. yes. You know it when you're watching it. Like, yeah. if someone asks you, if someone walked in the room and said, oh, Dak's numbers are pretty good, what's he doing? Yeah. You, you wouldn't say, oh, he hit a bunch of screens, he's checking it down a bunch. He is pounding the ball into tight windows. Yes, in the he is. Intermediate part of the field, right. the middle, and the sidelines as well as any quarterback. I agree. And I, I try, I try and hold back on. I have so many numbers written down about what I see, yeah. what, what I check, right. And I, I keep most of them to myself. But his yards per completion is second only Ooh. to Patrick Mahomes. I, I would think that. And he's up yeah. near seventy percent. Yeah. I mean, yeah. what he's doing, like this one game, I'm like, wow. That was really good. It I felt this way about him a number of times this season. You go back and line it up, and there aren't a lot of quarterbacks playing better than him right now. No, I, I, I agree. You know, he is, he is, I think the last few weeks entered the rarefied air of Should like. Should he be in this MVP conversation? I, I think that's very fair. You know, I'm not going to put him up there with Russell Wilson or Lamar Jackson yet. I'm not. But I think he's in that next group down where we might be able to say him, Kirk Cousins are in that conversation. I, yeah. I don't know. Right now, it might be those two. Right. You know, especially with kind of Christian McCaffrey and the Carolina Panthers not doing as well as of late. Like he's kind of he's kind yeah. of in the next group down past that now. Yeah. Uh, but I do. I think you know, and it can, especially if they can go on a run here late, you know, yeah, he deserves to be it because they are playing through him. Again, I'm not all that impressed with Zeke Elliott right now. Well, I'm and, s- and Kellen Moore is seeing the exact same. And why wouldn't he see yeah. the exact same way you are? Yeah. I mean, his. The, the number of time he's dropping back and making difficult throws is up in the 30s. It is. And Zeke is touching it yeah. in the 20s, right. in the running pass. So right. it's a nice balance. But I always thought this offense was about 21. I know. And this year, it, it's much more about it, the quarterback. It is. It's about number four. And cha-ching. I mean, that's all you can say because he's going to get paid big-time right. money. He is. He's going to – He's gonna with the way he's played and the way he's – you know, if he continues to do what we've seen the last two weeks and all that – yeah, he's going to get something Russell Wilson yeah. type money, and I'm not going to have any problem with that. One thing that he's doing that yeah. I, I noticed about him more yeah. than some other quarterbacks yeah. is we always praise the offensive line. Right. And they do have a good offensive line. Yes, they line. do, yeah. But with that extra second to second and a half that right. he gets, when number one's not often or not open, but he's allowed to hang in there, he doesn't get sped up 
and flustered. No, he doesn't. When you know, like you know, as a quarterback, I probably shouldn't be holding it this long. Guys are going to be coming after me. And some very veteran quarterbacks will look a little flustered with that extra second. Agreed. He looks very comfortable with the extra time he gets yep. and finds finds whoever should be open, whoever I, is open. I, I 100%. It's a subtle thing. And he's not going from one to, oh, let me sit there and just find a short completion now. Yeah. Like the check down. It's like, oh, wait, I'm no, going no. for the yeah. other, like, big, like, I'm going to try to gash you a number two read. Yes. Which is like, okay, I looked for the deep crosser. He wasn't open. Now I'm going to look for the deep in cut on the other yeah. side to see if I can his, hammer that in there. His body length. Language and his vision doesn't get sped up with the extra time no. that his offensive line gets, and I no. think it's a special thing. I think it is a special thing. I think it goes to a thing that I say a lot. I actually just talked about this in the radio, and it's, I'm glad you're even going here with it because I say this a lot. I don't know if you've heard me say it, but size is a skill. And his size and strength and power as a man, I think, allows it's, him to stand in there and go, I don't give a shit if you hit me defense end. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I can take it. I'm as big as you. It's, I'm 245. I'm 250. At least. Yeah. It's one of those things that TV doesn't do it justice. No, it does not. We were, I was covering a game of his in San Francisco a couple years ago, and I, I wanted to interview him. So yeah. I'm walking behind him the whole time after the game. Right. And I was like, oh, my. This is the biggest quarterback in the league. Yeah. Now Cam Newton is bigger. It's, yes, right. Just in terms of total size. It's thick. Oh it's ass and legs. He yeah. wins the ass and legs competition for, for quarterbacks. But Every single time. Uh, I am with you. Uh, a little concerned with Dallas's defense still. I don't think they're as dominant as I was like. The run game does bother me. I really will say it. You know, they got Tony Pollard involved a little bit more in the run game and, like, some of those cheap, like, shuffle passes where he goes in, like, a speed sweep, but it gets counted as a pass, right? And he does bring some juice to that offense yeah. a little bit. Sure does. Uh, I, you know, I don't know what to say about Zeke, man. I mean, he's good, but he's not great to me right now maybe I'm wrong man you can but tell me as I mean if you're evaluating him as the number one part of that offense yeah he slipped a little bit definitely if you're evaluating him as a supplement to Dak Prescott it's not as jarring good. yeah I get you yeah. you're, you're exactly right about that and we'll see where Dallas goes here I mean Dallas of course has got the New England Patriots they can give New England some issues the big thing to me with Dallas as long as Michael Gallup is healthy on the outside mm -hmm. and then you got a course Amari Cooper and Randall Cobb work in the middle Man, that's, that's a tough three with what you're saying. Good pass protection, mm -hmm. a quarterback who is aggressive, decisive, and fearless in the pocket. Mm -hmm. You know, that's dangerous. You know, and like we talk about with any good offense, a good offense makes you defend every square inch of the field, and Dallas does that through staying somewhat patient for the run game, and then when they drop back to pass, you know, I don't care if you're the cover three corner and you're 30 yards down the field, they will throw it 50 yards downfield over your head if you're not ready, and that's, to me, always a, a strength of a, of a great offense. Let's make a stop in the NFC South yeah. uh, and focus on Drew Brees and Sean Payton. One of the plays that they put together sure. for a touchdown came in the first quarter. Gerald Holm at Tampa, 16-yard touchdown to Michael Thomas. Yep. Uh, was a, if you appreciate this kind of thing, was a really cool scheme, a cool way to get him open. So what happened on that touchdown? Yeah, pass? well, it's a, let's see, tight end to the left, three receivers to the right, Correct. right? Yep. And um, the big thing is, more than anything, uh, they got Michael Thomas in the slot, right? So he's there, and I'm going to pull this play up just so I have it, just so we can look at it together. Uh, I think I might have passed it regardless. Let me see where I can get to it. Hold on. I've got me. it written out. As you're finding yeah, go ahead. right, it was, it was Breeze in a shotgun. He had, he had Camaro behind him. The tight end to the left was, was basically attached. Right. And then to the right, he had three wide receivers. Yep. And he had Thomas was the inside guy. And the two outside guys ran basically quick slants. Yep. And he ran a little hesitation wheel route in behind them. Exactly. And the cool thing they did is they kept in the tight end right. and the running back to block. So yes. They blocked with seven. 
I'm paying attention to you. They help, they're helping the quarterback. Helping the quarterback. Leave guys in. Right. So they only released three. And those three did the job. They, and this is the beauty of Sean Payton, Drew Brees, the offense in general. They don't waste plays. Like, I would think this was probably two plays called in the huddle. And they had this for, hey, we're playing Todd Bowles and he likes to blitz. And if you see this look, Drew, you know, point your helmet and tell everybody check, 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 or can, 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 or kill, 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 which means kill the first play I called in the huddle. Right. You know, they might have had a run play. Maybe they had a play where all five eligibles get out, right? Do something like that. But they see from the alignment like, oh, gosh, it's blitz all the way. And these type of plays – uh, and in, in my opinion, and just knowing this offense a little bit, because John Gruden and Sean Payton have a very similar offense, it's for one play and one player only. It's for this right here. And those two guys you're talking about on the outside of, yep. of Michael Thomas, they're not even really running routes. Oh, no. It's like slants or sloppy post routes to basically just get in the way of the guy that's covering Michael Thomas man-to-man. They're bringing six blitzers. There is a free safety in the middle of the field, Okay. It- and what did he do? Well, I know. He, well, he's, his job is to protect the middle, so he's, he's worried about the post. Yeah. Or even if Michael Thomas runs an inside release cross yeah. the field post, he needs to be there for that. I was wondering also, yeah. maybe he was worried about Kamara behind he him? He could be. He maybe could he be. was worried about the tight end and that little bit of hesitation left him nowhere that he needed to be when, when Drew found Thomas. Definitely. I mean, either yeah. way, he didn't get there. And, and, and here's the play in general. Now, the beauty of the play, like you set it up perfectly, and Michael Thomas has patience off the line of scrimmage. See how he kind of works it a little bit, and he even kind of acts like he's going to go inside just for a second so the two receivers outside of him can get up the field because he knows, ooh, the little more I buy time, the more they'll get in the way of the guy that's covering me. Yep. And, yeah, the safety, his bright lights look like he's looking for something over there. But either way, with this route basically being, let's say, a wheel route or, you know, an inside slot fade with a really wide departure, uh, the corner that's covering him has no chance because Cameron Meredith does a good job of just, you know, slightly brushing him as mm-hmm. he's trying to run by him. And now Michael Thomas has six, seven yards of separation. Drew Brees throws a safe ball, like basically right at his head. And it's an easy walk-in touchdown. It's also very well designed because if you can picture those two quick slants, oftentimes the inside guy will just run a little flat route underneath. Yes, right. And he not only has a nice little hesitation to set up the pick. Yes. The first couple steps could lead you to believe that he was going out to the flat just yeah. to do that little right. harmless route that they sure. will often do sure. right. in that combination. So right. it was also well set up knowing that the defense might bite on this because he will often go that way. That, that's where they're amazing, and that's where Sean Payton's amazing, and then, of course, Drew Brees being able to orchestrate the offense at the line of scrimmage and always get into the right play, all that. New Orleans does not waste plays. And, you know, hey, this game was 6-0. They had two long first drives of the game where they really chewed up clock. Tampa did a good job of holding them to field goals. Then it became the Jameis Winston threw the perfect pass to O.J. Howard. This interception was not his fault. Oh, my gosh. And O.J. Howard hits him right in the chest yeah. and somehow ends up on, the, on his back and he gets intercepted. And uh, then this play happened. And it was pretty much like, okay, now it's 13 nothing, and you're in deep crap, Tampa. Yeah. And, then, you know, not to say it was game over, but it, it, it put Tampa way behind the eight ball and to have to struggle to come back this way. You know, New Orleans ran the ball well. They had a lot of great short design pass plays. Mm-hmm. Um, Drew was efficient. You know, again, I, I worry about them a little because they can't push the ball down the field. Yeah. I want to go I, – I really wanted to go Tampa. Did you watch the film from last week? Did you watch the Saints game? Did you see them play last week? Yeah. Like, that's where I get frustrated with defensive coaches sometimes and go – 
wait, you saw a team have a game plan that took away the stuff that New Orleans likes to do, and you just said, ah, fuck it. No, we like to play this way. Like, I just don't understand that. Should have copied it. You copy it right. to a degree, right? Maybe within your own style and flow there of your go. defense. Yeah. But, y- yes, copy the same theme. Don't just go, oh, this is what we do. And like, come on. Well, yeah, you know what you do? You got up 27 points, and you got torched, right. and you died a slow death. That's the other thing. They have a high-powered offense on themselves. And, you know, the first half, there's 30 minutes in the first half, they had the ball for 21 minutes and change. Mm -hmm. You know, the game in general, they had the ball for 37 minutes out of the 60 minutes. So there's Jameis Winston and Mike Evans and all them, who they have a lot of money and assets to. They're sitting by the Gatorade bottle, right? So they can't even do anything. Right. You know, that's that's the beauty of the Saints. The Saints can overpower you. Sean Payton finds a lot of high percentage, short passes. Drew Brees is a good decision maker. He's accurate that way. And when they get you in this kind of game, you're fucked, for lack of a better phrase. That's all there is to say it. And it also played to the weaknesses of of Jameis Winston, like – you and your dad talked about yeah. about how now they have to throw. They have to just drop back exactly. and downfield, and, and he can't help it. Right, have the double bogey like like your your, your dad talked it, about exactly. That's so, where it gets scary. Now, now for the last can I just time, say one thing with this though, real quick? Yeah, people are trying to say Michael Thomas MVP conversation. Okay, stop it. Yeah, stop it. Now, first of all, Michael Thomas is one of the five best receivers in football. I have no problem saying that. Now, people get mad at me because I say that. And One like, of the five, you mean, could be second, could be fifth? What? Well, whatever. I don't care. For me, he'd be probably like four or five, okay. all right? Yeah. But either way, I'm putting him in the top five, which in any other thing in the world, people would be like, man, he's top yeah. five in the world right. of what he yeah. does. But with me, it's uh, how dare you say he's not the number one. First of all, no. Just because you lead the league in receptions doesn't mean you automatically get number one. I mean, who, who, who are we going to say this? So all the years Matthew Stafford led the year, the, the league in passing yards? Right. Is he the number one quarterback that year? Is that how we're going by this? So, damn, we need to rearrange everything we're thinking. That's Would you just, have it one and two? Well, I just think, like, there's more dangerous people. I would put Mike Evans in front of him. Mm. I would put Tyree Kill still in front yep. of him. You know, uh, I would really put Odell Beckham Jr. in front of him. Mm. I would. We're taking team stuff sometimes and just pinning it to a player. Yeah. Listen, again, I'm not trying to be a jerk. He plays a huge part for this offense. But I'm not going to sit here and go, whoa, the offensive coordinator designed to play through formation and great game planning for you to run a shallow cross and you're wide open now and you did nothing really and you got to run down the sideline for 41 yards and I'm going to go, oh my gosh, nobody in football could have done that. Yeah. Or nobody could have caught the inside slant route that your coach got in the perfect position. First off, all you have to do to watch the Saints to know that teams don't think he's the number one or two receiver in football is how they cover him. Nobody doubles Michael Thomas. Why do you I mean, think that is? Because they, he's good, but they always feel like our guy is okay to cover him. It's just, will you get screwed by the formations that some bind by Sean Payton? If he ever gets doubled, it's more because the teams go, in this situation, Sean Payton's going to find some crazy way to throw to this freaking guy, mm-hmm. so let's double him. Because I don't know what he's going to do or where he's going to line up, but let's just try to get two on him. They're not like, we got to double him because we can't cover him. He's going to run by us or, or just totally beat us off the line of scrimmage to where we have no chance. He's a really awesome player, but I think what's happening right now is they're 8-2, and two, and people, would I, these are what I call stat readers the game is over and they go the Saints won he had 100 yards receiving he's an MVP hey he's because he's the only one statistically that can make sense he had some garbage yards last week when when their offense did nothing right he had 50 something yards in the last drive of the game when the competitive part of the game was over along with Drew Brees who had 80 yards during that time so again I'm not trying to like sit here and I'm just again I'm a guy that likes to keep it real and I hate bad narratives and 
And just because they're one of the better teams in football doesn't mean they have to have an MVP candidate. They don't. I'm sorry. Sounds like so, you'd vote for Sean Payton. Well, who, as their exactly. Yeah. So who's the MVP of the 49ers then? Because they're the number one team in football. Right. Who's the MVP of the New England Patriots? Because why don't they get an, 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 a candidate for induction then? Yeah. But because it's a receiver and it's sexy and we can see numbers that are towards the top of the league, everyone just jumps on a narrative. Absolutely not. I refuse to be that guy that's going to do that. I'm sorry. I'm just telling you the truth of what I see. He's still a really great player. But to say he's an MVP of football, to me, is just not, not real. Especially in a year where there's so many quarterbacks. That are doing special, too. special things. Yeah. Right. And, and, again, I know everyone thinks I'm a Saint hater, and I'm not. I like, you get a lot of Saint hate? I get a lot of Saint hate because I say Drew Brees is the 10th best quarterback in football and those things, yeah. and people just don't want to hear that. And, you know, again, I really respect the Saints. Uh, I had them going to the Super Bowl last year. I respect their physicality. They are a run-first football team. They are a dink-and-dunk pass game, and they beat your ass on the defensive side of the ball, and that is because of Sean Payton, and Sean Payton's an amazing coach, and I'm not trying to take away things from those guys either. The players are really good. Their offensive line is one of the top in football. Their defensive line is one of the top in football, but I'm just trying to say just because he's leading the league in catches right. doesn't mean you're the best MVP candidate in football, okay? You're not when you're you know you know I can also sit here and go okay yes he's got a he's got 94 catches okay and it's like the next guy next to him Mike Evans has 36 less and only you know like 150 yards less you know he's averaging 12.1 yards per perception you know and it's good but I would also say Amari Cooper would be a better receiver to me so there you go I there just I had to say that now let's Ooh. go Okay. Here we go. Notre Dame. Exhale. Notre Dame. <sighs> we'll be there again one, one more I had to time. Because Twitter just gets on I, me I, when I talk I about that crowd. It drives yeah. me crazy. The Holy War. Yes. The Holy War. Saturday, yep, we, I know. Yeah. We're going to be there. Yes, I'm yes, looking sir. forward to yeah. it. Uh, this is where Boston College super fans will des descend on South Bend. <laughs> and the most famous BC alumnus is our own Doug Flutie, the legend, who will soon be celebrating the 35th anniversary of one of the greatest plays in college football history. Yeah. The play. Yes. Here's your ballgame, folks, as Rudy takes the snap. He drops straight back. Unfortunate deep one for the end zone. Best. Best. Legend play. He just yeah. reenacted the play a few weeks ago at Boston College in their last home game of the year against Florida State. But either way, it's BC, Notre Dame, number 16, Notre Dame. Okay, and you can see this entire feature on the Hale Flutie during the game, Saturday, 2.30 Eastern on NBC. I'll be there freezing my butt on the sidelines while Paul is warm and cozy up in a booth <laughs> next to my ex-teammate Ryan Harris, the offensive lineman. Also, we're doing a simulcast this week on NBC Sports Network. The Notre Dame fan feed with limited commercial interruptions featuring a couple random dudes named um, um, Paul Burmeister and Ahmed Fareed. So that'll yeah. be really cool for fans that are true Notre Dame fans that want to hear a Homer broadcast. They'll get to hear that <laughs> and you guys can root for Notre Dame and just say the hell with Boston College. It'll be, it, it won't be totally I know Homer, it won't be, but, yeah, but you but should yeah. be a little Homer. Oh, I get course. that. It's, it's the Notre Dame call, but right. uh, it'll be a lot of fun. Um, and then we do have the BC. The BC Homer broadcast will be, uh, they're doing, and they will be doing something as well. And Pete Dimalitalitis yeah. is a BC guy. Is he a BC guy? Yeah, so he's going to be listening to that crap on that side. But, you know. Is there really going to be a BC? There thing? is. There is a BC Homer thing, too. 
Oh, there's not? He's totally joking with me, and I didn't. Pete, you're such a dim little lightest. What an idiot you are. Thank you for leading me down that road. Um, one thing with the yes. Kansas City Chiefs. Yes. If everybody wants to know what happened in the first half and the second half, they called shorter pass plays. All right? That was the biggest thing. they got to stop trying to throw the ball down the field 50 yards every play. They need an inventory of screens and short passes galore when they play teams like the Chargers who play deep zone coverages to then make those teams come up. And that was the big thing I took away from the second half. Yes, was the first half, was there moments where Mahomes is a little overaggressive? Definitely. I get all that. Yes, he was. But I really think the play calling in the second half was three-step drops. They're dropping deep. They're only rushing four. They're seven in coverage. Let's try to just get five and six yard completions instead of going first and 10, 20 yards down the field, first, second and 10, 40 yards down the field. Right. And I just think that's one thing Kansas City has to do. And now to another new segment. Yes. Oh, oh my gosh. You set it up so well. Pete Dimalitolitis is just letting us no down. No Bill O'Reilly? No Bill O'Reilly. No fucking jerk Bill O'Reilly. Yeah, he's only allowed on this podcast when I can say that. Only because we get to laugh at yeah. Yes, I don't like Pain, Bill O'Reilly. Pains us both. At all. Pains I can't stand him. But when he does say, fuck it, we'll do it live, it's funny. It, is, it is funny. It's funny. Uh, but it's the only thing that's funny. Because he's such a jerk. It's he's funny. a jerk. I can't right. stand him. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so. Okay. I, I, have the, uh, yeah. I have the question. All right. There it is. Jared Goff's deep ball to Cooper Cup. Everyone knew it was going to Cup, but it still ended up with him wide open. Feel free to use commas when you tweet if you yeah, would like. Right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, don't don't tell me. I'm so horrible. We are watching it for the first time. Or yep. Chris is watching it for let the first time. Let me get there. Yeah, let me get there. I'll get there here in a second. Second, second quarter. quarter, 3:51 left. Rams had third down and five. Second quarter, on their own 49-yard line. Here he is. I got it. I believe it right here. Here we go. Okay. okay. So Tell us what happened as, as you watch it. Okay, so it's shotgun. Tight end to the right. Receiver to the right. Only about two yards outside of the tight end. He's in the shotgun. As I mentioned, Mac Brown, the, the tailback, is right to his left. Cooper Cup is in the slot to his left, and he has a receiver out to his left, too, who I can't tell who it is. But the point is we're talking about Cooper Cup here, who's in the slot. Now, the great thing is, yes, this is a play where – Right, right. We're going to get to that. This is third and five, and when you play the Rams, traditionally teams go, ooh, they try to throw a six or an eight or a ten-yard pass to Cooper Cup to get the first down and keep the chains moving. Well, on this play, this to me is probably film study again by Sean McVay and probably a little bit of self-scouting to go, you know, I run six and seven and eight-yard routes a lot with my slot receivers on third and five and six and that just to get the first down. Right. Chicago has Buster Screen covering him man-to-man, -man, and they are trying to double him here. They're trying to double him. They're trying to bracket him in and out, right? Because the safety came down from about 10 Eddie yards Eddie Jackson the ball. comes on from inside the ball and sets up to take away anything he does to break inside, right? He is breaking down going, ooh, if he runs one of these option routes where he can go sit down, break out, or go inside, we're going to have him bracketed, and I, he can't do it. I understand that. That makes sense. Right. It was a poor decision because he – because the cup went deep. Well, this but is what he's told to sense. do, though. He's being told to do this. Right. He's not this – is, this is total, like – That part of it makes sense. Right. What's the corner? Buster screen. What's he doing? Well, because he's playing for, I, I'm, you know, I'm, be, I'm betting that the numbers bear out that they run this a ton. And they're playing, 
you know, but we would call the zebra option in the West Coast offense. Sean McVay was down there with me and John Gruden when I in his early years of learning football. And this is a staple of our offense to let your smart receiver mm-hmm. read the coverage along with the quarterback and you guys make the right play and decision based on that coverage. And I would bet that the number said that, oh, man, in these situations, he does this a lot and he'll break out or in or sit either way and we'll collapse or we won't let him break and either way we're going to try to knock the ball down and they won't be able to get the first down. It's the only way to explain with two guys guarding you. Yes. And they both they get caught end up five footed. yards behind you. They both get caught flat-footed because he gets to about the five or six yard mark. You're right. And now Buster Screen jumps outside of him because he's going, I got him if he goes outside. Yeah. And Eddie Jackson's going, I got him if he goes inside. Because the last thing he's going to do is run by you. Is the last thing he's going to do. We don't. We, coach told us they don't run go routes yeah. a lot from this. And bam. He runs a go route, and they're both like, oh, fuck, he's going straight. (laughs) And Jared Goff throws a really good ball, and he gets, thank God, fumbles the ball out at the one-yard line. Remember, this was almost a touchback. Uh, But that is really what happened there. And to our guy, who was that that just asked that question on Twitter? Let's see. Uh, Russ Johnson. Russ Johnson, really good, really good question by you. And this is not only where – this is where Mm self-scouting helped – screw over the scouting right and this is what it did because I bet you Sean McVay and their numbers they broke it down and said man we do this a lot we need to change it up a little bit to get people off our back you're seeing a lot of this this year where the slot receiver runs the kind of fade the slot fades yeah it's 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 kind of new it is new and it's a great play because you have a lot of room you know as far as if you want to throw a back shoulder ball you got a lot of room to your outside and a lot of defenses aren't it's still new enough where they're not expecting it it is and the slot guy is you more times you're not expecting a guy to go inside Correct. or outside yeah. so he's not expecting always the vertical element uh, from that kind of guy and cooper cup is a master at those option routes either way they got him that was a big play good throw by jared goff and uh, that's that I think that's it. Woo, baby. I don't get to see you again until uh, See you Friday. Yeah, yeah, see you in the coaches meeting Friday. 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 Yeah, yes. you the man. Uh, hope everybody enjoyed the podcast. Thanks to Big Phil. Uh, again, like I said, subscribe, rate, and review. Check out my Ch- Campbell's Chunky Chats with some of the guys I've talked to. Re- most recently, Matt Forte, which was really awesome. Thanks to him. Thursday, we'll do the Week 12's Picks podcast with Florio. I had a good week picking games. I didn't have a good week gambling. Uh, I think Florio did have a good week on gambling. Fuck him. Either way, we're out. Peace. <laughs> Be good, everybody. See ya. See ya. Almost left you hanging. That's all right. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.